and uh, thank you for all that. We have a international uh, poetry day is uh, tomorrow, and uh, we have a, a number of poets uh, joining us and to chat with us. We are hoping to have Joe Woods from um, the International Strokestown International Port uh, Festival Poetry Festival, which is on this weekend. Uh, we hope to speak to. We have John Cunningham. We we'll hope to. Ha- we will have a poem by Fintan O'Toole. Dean McKiernan will be joining us, and Derek Smith. And uh, we're going to start off with a monologue, a nice little monologue to start it off. Uh, it's a um, face on the ballroom floor, and it is uh, Brian Carr. It was a balmy summer evening and a goodly crowd was there Which well near filled Joe's barroom on the corner of the square And the songs and witty stories came through the open door A vagabond crept slowly in and posed upon the floor Where did it come from, someone said The wind had blown it in What does it want, another cried Some whiskey, rum or gin Here, Toby, seek it if your stomach's equal to the work Why I wouldn't touch him with a fork Why he's as filthy as a turk this bad needs the poor rights took with stoiple good grace. In fact, he smiled as though he thought he'd struck the proper place. Come, boys, I know there's kindly hearts among so good a crowd. Why to be in such good company would make a deacon proud. Give me a drink, that's what I want. I'm out of funds, you know. When I had cash to treat the gang, this hand was never slow. But you laugh as though you thought this pocket never held a suit. Why, I was fixed as well, my boys, as any one of you. There, that's braced me nicely. God bless you, one and all. Next time I pass this good saloon, I'll make another call. Give you a song? No, I can't do that. My singing days are past. My voice is cracked and my throat's worn out and my lungs are going fast. Say, give me another whiskey and I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll tell you a funny story and a fact I promise to. That I ever was a decent guy, not one of you would think. But I was some four or five years back. Say, give us another drink. Fed her up, Joe, I want to put some life into my frame. Such little drinks to a bum like me are miserably tame. Five fingers there, that's the scheme, and cork and whiskey, too. Well, here's luck, boys, and landlord, my best regards to you. Now you've treated me pretty kindly, and I'd like to tell you how I came to be the dirty sod you see before you now. As I told you once, I was a man with a muscle frame and health. And but for a blunder, I would have made considerable wealth. I was a painter, not one that daubed on bricks and wood, but an artist, and for my age, was rated pretty good. I worked hard at my canvas, and I was bidding fair to rise, because gradually I saw the star of fame before my eyes. I made a picture perhaps you've seen, tis called The Chase of Fame. It brought me 1,500 pounds and added to my name. And then I met a woman, now comes the funny part, with eyes that petrified my brain and sank into my heart. Why don't you laugh? It's funny that the vagabond you see could never love a woman and expect her love from me. But was so, and for a month or two her smiles were freely given. And when her loving lips touched mine, it carried me to heaven. Boys, did you ever see a girl for whom your soul you'd give? With a form like the mile of Venus, too beautiful to live. With eyes like the purest of diamonds and a wealth of chestnut hair. 
If so, twas she, for there never was another half so fair. I was working on a pulpit one afternoon in May of a fair-haired boy, a friend of mine, who lived across the way. And Madeline admired it, and much to my surprise, said she'd like to know the guy that had such dreamy eyes. Well, it didn't take long to know him, and before the month had flown, my friend had stole my darling, and I was left alone. And ere a year of misery had passed above my head, the jewel that I had treasured so had tarnished and was dead. That's why I took to drink, boys, why I never saw you smile. I thought you'd be amused and laughing all the while. Why, what's the matter, friend? There's a teardrop in your eye. Come, laugh like me. Why, it is only babes and women that would cry. Say, boys, if you give me just another whiskey, I'd really be glad. And I'll draw right here a picture of the face that drove me mad. Give me that piece of chalk with which you mark the baseball score. And you shall see the lovely Madeline upon the barroom floor. Another drink and with chalk in hand, the vagabond begun to sketch a face that well might buy the soul of any man. And then as he placed another lock upon the shapely head, with a fearful shriek he leaped and fell across the picture dead. was Brian Call, <clears throat> the face on the ballroom floor. As I said, it's a monologue and I'm trying to keep in keeping with Poetry Day, uh, which is tomorrow. I'm absolutely delighted to have our first guest on the line, and that is Joe Woods. Uh, Joe is the new director of the International, of Strokestown International Poetry Festival, and he's going to chat with us online about himself. Joe is a poet in his own right, he's an author, and was the director of Poetry Ireland from uh, 20, not not, to 2013. Hello, Joe. Good morning, or good, uh, good afternoon, I should say. <laughs> it was, it was you? morning, you're on the wrong show, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> one, one to two, the arts programme. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us here on the Arts Programme on Ross FM and congratulations and welcome to your new role in, uh, as the new chairperson in, um, or the new director in um, Strokestown International Poetry Festival which takes place this weekend That's right, Ursula uh, it, it takes place um, on, on Saturday all day Saturday um, and it's usually uh, Traditionally, it would have been held over the the bank holiday weekend. You know, from from probably from Thursday evening through to to the bank holiday Monday. But this year, we're we're running a kind of a, a truncated festival, and so we're putting it all into one day. We're um, we're putting it all into into the Saturday, and um, but 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 we've 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 a very full program. You have and. Um, we're, 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 you know, we're hoping it'll, it'll, um, I suppose it'll mark the space and it'll mark, um, the, the, you know, the place in the, in the calendar because we've been, we've been kind of on the internet for the past two years. So it's been one of those kind of, um, online festivals for the past two years. Okay. Well, <clears throat> first of all, 
The Strokestown uh, International Poetry Festival, or I'm saying it the wrong way around, um, it's Strokestown, yeah, I'm right, Strokestown International That's Poetry right. Festival. Where exactly are you holding it in Strokestown? Yes, well, traditionally, traditionally we had um, the use of Strokestown Park House, you know, which is that beautiful um, house on the edge of, of Strokestown. With the big itself. gardens, yeah. Yes, and Strokes Strokes and Gardens, um, but the 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 house is undergoing a little bit of uh, refurbishment, um, and and it's just not quite finished. So what we'll be doing this year is we will be we still have two events in the park. We'll have um, at lunchtime we will have um, a poetry in the park event, um, which is kind of a a walkabout with readings and and, um, you know, talks about poetry, and that's going to be led by Jerry Boland. And he, he does these walks um, uh, throughout Roscommon, but he's kicking off um, this, this, this season, he's kicking it off in, in Strokestown Park. So, so we, have, we have that event, and then we also have an event, um, because that, the house is yet to open, we're going to have an event in one of the gazebos in um, or gazebos in um, in the gardens, and we'll have a, a lunchtime poetry reading there. So we're still we're still using the grounds, um, but but the other events we we we're delighted that we have the use of the the Percy French Hotel, which, right. is, which is nearby. It's, yeah. it's, it's it's a stone's throw away from 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 uh, Strokestown House. So I suppose if you know if you get to Strokestown, it'd be easy enough to find out where where, where things are happening, or, or you know, it's either the park Absolutely. or Percy Fraser yes. Hotel. Yeah. Yeah, I think the the, the whole the, the whole kind of um, kind of meeting place will be will be um, the Percy French Hotel, and um, that's 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 pretty much where most of our events will be, and then um, we'll just have one or two events. Um, using using Strokestown, Strokestown House and and Park, yeah. Now, uh, Joe, can I just ask you, um, for our listeners, is there workshops involved? Yes, there is a workshop. Um, there's a, there's a workshop for children um, from from the age group of ten to fifteen, and there still might be a few places left. There are actually there are a few places left. If anybody is interested, and you just need to, um, if you go on the site, uh, rather than give you the email, yeah. if you go, if you just go on the site, um, uh, Strokestown Poetry, um, you, the program will come up there, and there's a there's an email. So if 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 um, if you respond to that email, there's probably there are still a few places left on on the children's workshop, but um, it, it, traditionally. Ursula, we would have had um, uh, workshops for adults, but but this year we decided to forego because we just have one day and we've got a captive audience. So <laughs> we've we've decided we've decided that we do you know we don't want them kind of rummaging away um, in you know in, in 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 the classroom and kind of missing out on out and about, you know. Yeah, yeah missing out on on the festival itself. Whereas when you have it over three days, then you have more time to devote a classroom time as well. I, I that, understand what you're saying. That, 
That's right. And also to, you know, over over a couple of days like that, you, you also have, you know, we, we would have, you know, in the past had a lot of, you know, international poets and visitors. And it's nice to kind of make use of them in the sense of, you know, that they're doing a reading and then you also get them to kind of share in their expertise and do perhaps a kind of a morning um, workshop or an evening workshop so that, you know, we're kind of getting the value um, out, yes. of, of, of out of somebody who's travelled the distance, you know. Yeah, yeah, I understand that. Um, so let me just recap. What date is the um, Strokestown International Poetry Festival? What date, day is it on? Saturday? So it's, it's this Saturday, the 30th of April, and it's Starting. all day, and it's kicking off at 1030 um, with, with the children's workshop. Um, there's also going to be um, the, the showing of a movie um, or a film that was made last year, and that's called Hunger's Way, and that's going to be shown in the Percy French Hotel. Um, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's a film very much of the area and refle- reflecting on, on the Irish famine, and it incorporates a lot of... Um, poetry and some really beautiful um, images of the, the, the you know the, the, that whole area um, you know not just Roscommon but kind of extending into Leitrim as well so it's a, it's a really beautiful film and what's the name and of the film again the film is called Hunger's Way and uh, and it, it's uh, it, it, that will be we, we, we'll ha- actually have two showings of that in the Percy French on, on the day okay so, so, so that that will be very. That that really does sound inter- interesting. So it does Hunger's Way. I haven't heard of it uh, before, but maybe yeah. Uh, well, it, I'll it was commissioned. Um, but it was commissioned by the festival last year because you know, as as I was saying earlier, Ursula, you know, the the, the like most festivals, we had gone very quiet, and you know, we were kind of every everywhere was confined to being online, and. Um, in this instance, we thought, look, we, 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 we got this great idea from um, filmmaker Edwina Gukian and Vincent Woods, and um, we, we, commissioned, we commissioned this film, which, and it kind of, it, it's, very, uh, it's very interesting because, as, as, as you know, the Strokestown House is, is, is the famine museum. Yeah. So it's linking that, and it's linking that with, 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 um, with poetry and with the landscape and and also there's some there's some very fine music and singing on on the same on the same well joe i will follow up on that film not today or tomorrow but in the future i will um, get somebody to come in here and chat about that joe can i just um, come back to you yourself for a few minutes and we only have a few minutes but you are a poet yourself i am for my sins (laughs) (laughs) I, I I am yeah I've been I've been um, I've been in that vineyard for a, quite a long time now um, yeah I suppose I, you know it kind of uh, it, it, you know when you look at things I, I suppose I've been writing and and reading I suppose to some extent as, as well in terms of you know giving readings I suppose for I suppose nearly thirty years at this stage you know so yeah. And um, can I just ask you, I know you have a couple of books that you're the author of as well, but before I go into the books, and as I said, time is is, um, short, do you have a quick little poem you can share with us? 
Oh my goodness! <laughs> <laughs> you didn't think um, I was going to ask this, did you? <laughs> I, you know, you know, I'm surrounded by books, but at the moment, um, but I, I don't have any of my. Okay, it's okay, <laughs> it's okay. I put you on the spot, but I will, uh, I will put you on the spot again, Joe. Sometime when you're in Roscommon and the arts program is on, I expect you to come in, sit down in front of us here at our microphone, and share a few of your poems. But you have, um, you're an author of, of uh, a, a couple of books as well. Can you tell us the name of the book? Yeah, well, uh, actually, my most my, my most recent book. Um, I, I, I've been I, I've been living abroad for the last um, eight or nine years. I re- returned to Ireland last year, Ursula, and um, so my last book um, was was called uh, Monsoon Diary, and it was um, very much based on um, time living in Burma. Or Myanmar, as 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 um, some Bur- people know it. Burma, that's uh, in India. Yeah, well, actually, it, it it used to be considered part of India in in the colonial days, but it's it's um, it's it's and in fact, it used to be called furthest India uh, in the, in colonial in, in the bad old colonial times. But um, it's it's um, it's. It, it, you know, it's 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 uh, neighbouring Thailand. Okay, yes, that's right. You're right because I was in yes. I was in Thailand and I was on the Burma border. Yes, now I know what you're talking about. You would have been. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Now, and, so, um, yeah, so your yeah, sorry, your last book. So that was that was my last book, and that was that was um, very much kind of I suppose it, it's it's like anything, um, you know, you you don't really write a book about a country well for me it's always chewing and throwing between Ireland and between wherever I happen to be so I suppose it's based on that um, my last book was very much based on that that kind of time in Burma and I'm finishing uh, I'm finishing a new book of poems. Now can I which... just ask you is this a scoop for Ross FM? <laughs> well, are, we, are we hearing it here I, first I, on the arts programme? I, I don't know if a poetry book is, is, is a school. Yes, it <laughs> is. <laughs> we well, know, you know about I'm, 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 I'm very superstitious. I have a title for this book, but, but I'm very, very superstitious. It. So I'm, I'm going to hold on to the title okay. uh, for, for a bit longer. But I, 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 this book is, um, is uh, it's kind of covering the last four years or so um, since, since the last book, and it'll be... Um, and again, 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 this this book is kind of very much based between Ireland and Zimbabwe. I was going to say out in the sea, but there is no sea between Zimbabwe and <laughs> Ireland. Um, but it's it's yeah, it's it's somewhere it's somewhere in the middle. And um, that, that's yeah, that's that's going to be next book. Hopefully, um, that that will see the light of day next year. Okay, um, well, we hope to see you, Joe. We're running out of time here. Joe, we hope to see you before next year, but when you do launch your book of poetry... Uh, love to do that. Yeah, draw, let us know. Pop in here with us and sit and we can chat about your other books as well. Thank you very much for the scoop. Thank you very much, uh, Thank you. Joe, for chatting with us about the... Uh, Strokestown International Poetry Festival. We wish you all the best and let the weather be on your side. Fingers crossed. Thanks, thanks very much, Ursula. And and just to let let, let your listeners know that please go to the to the website Strokestown yes. Poetry, and and you know the program is there and all events are free, and all events are open. 
Okay, well, Joe, thank you so much uh, for joining us on the arts program on Ross FM uh, this afternoon, and we'll catch up with you again um, when you're in town. Thank you, Ursula. All the best. Thank Thank you. you. Bye bye. Bye -bye. That was uh, Joe Woods, the new director of Strokestown International Poetry Festival, on this weekend and Saturday. We now head over to our ads and we'll come back to see what else is on the programme. Can't wait to find out myself. So now there we've had our advertisements. Our next guest is an interview I did a couple of weeks back uh, with Derek Smith. Derek Smith is an artist uh, who has his exhibition on in the Loon Gallery at the moment. And uh, Derek kindly gave me a few words as he was hanging his um, his exhibition. So now we have Derek Smith from the Loon Gallery chatting with me. Ursula Ledworth for the Arts Programme on Ross FM. I'm here in the Loon Gallery in Athlone. The new exhibition just been put up as I speak. I'm speaking with Derek Smith, who is the artist. Uh, it's very, very colourful. I can tell you that before I get chatting to him. Extremely colourful. This is the sort of art that you might need to brighten up your day. Derek Smith, welcome to the Loon Gallery here in Athlone. Thank you very much. The Arts Programme on Ross FM. Thank you. Where are you from? Um, I grew up in Cowles in County Meath. I went to school there, and from there I, you know, I travelled to many places, lived in many different places. So, Countries? Um, I think the first one was the United States, no, Scotland I think first, and then the United States, and then England, and France, Italy, Germany, most recently would have been France. So, so you enjoy travelling to different countries? To a certain <coughs> degree, yeah, I mean I, I travelled t- to work, and I, you know, I, one of the things I did was teach in English, so I'd go to a country and I could get a job and live as a local would and you know kind of learn a bit more about the culture so rather than just traveling for traveling's sake I went yeah. to work and you know to got involved basically yeah, yeah. yeah what were the jobs like apart from the teaching um I did a lot of manual labor you know construction jobs and then I did factory work uh, wash dishes and kitchens and um it's easy to say now because I'm not as involved with it but there is a kind of a an art to it if you like there is a kind of a a meditative aspect you know I had one job in New York where I would sweep the leaves outside this building on Park Avenue and September is the best time of year in New York so it's just really nice to be out there sweeping the leaves you know (laughs) so looking back obviously you can see these things and but at the time you know you're kind of wondering what, what you're doing here and where is this going but Kind of, I mean, because the other side of that, you've got you've got shoveling snow in winter yeah. on the same pavements, yeah. and that was that was a whole other thing. Like you weren't really mm-hmm. seeing the beauty in that, like you know. But then, when you look back and you look back on your life's journey, mm-hmm. well, that's the thing. And it's it probably a book there. Well, I mean, because it was New York where I really kind of cut my teeth, and I, I, I mean, the, the the art scene in New York, and whether it was graffiti or the National Museums were free at the time. And I actually worked quite close to one. So I'd go in there two times a week, sometimes three, for free. And you just get to be around all the art in a very natural way. Like, you don't... It's not like you have to pay in and you have to get your money's worth. You just kind of go in and say, OK, I'm bored, I'm going to go now. Or you could spend longer. So that was a, was a very kind of formative set of experiences, both working there, trying to pay rent, commuting, and then, you know, trying to find outlets for art as well. So... Now, would you always have had art in the back of your mind or would you have always been scribbling a little bit of art or dabbling in a little bit of painting? Or I was. I was always... I mean, I am. I've always been an artist and 
I wasn't on the uh, football fields or anything like that. I was drawing or it was mostly drawing. And then when the time came for college, I went to study design. I actually studied in Sligo. And it was it was still very much seen as a way that I could try and marry an income to creativity. Mm-hmm. And that, that wasn't guaranteed whatsoever. So, um, But yeah, I mean, I, I've, I guess it's the thing that makes... I don't know, the thing that makes most sense is the thing that I'm, I feel that I do the best without needing any other support. I just kind of can do it, you know. And uh, so it's the thing that sustains me in a way. So you've been doing art for 25 years? Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, 35 years? Well, let's say, because I am. <laughs> well, I d- okay, we'll, we'll say 15. <laughs> no, no, well, okay, no, let's see. I, I need to go and get my glasses fixed, no, well, so do I? <laughs> I don't know, professionally, I don't know how I'd qualify. My first exhibition, I think, was uh, 2000, and, oh, it was 20 years anyway, it's 20 years ago. Okay. So, and then that was various sort of group shows and so on, but it depends on how you. I mean, this is an aside, but it depends on how you qualify it, because I think the moment you start drawing, you're an artist, and yeah. then how do you become an artist in the, other, in the eyes of other people is exhibitions. and yeah. um, mm-hmm. Basically, a lot of the jobs I took was to just secure a little bit of an income mm. so that my free time then I could create something or work on my own projects. I, I can see know. that there was no onus on you in the job. It was simple to do, physical yeah. work. Yeah. Your inner space is, is kind of free and you're yeah. processing ideas and everything as you're sweeping the leaves or whatever. Yeah. That's why I tended to meet quite a lot of artists and musicians and writers and, you know, those kinds of jobs because very much we're all doing the same, trying to just secure a little bit of an income so that... it Pay takes the rent. Well, it takes time to, mm. de- to develop your craft and mm. to, you know... to You recognise so that it is... Saleable? Exactly, even that. Even it might be saleable, but you know, it's you confidence. see it as sale. Yes, that's the I'll, thing. It's to get I'll your confidence. So. We're both saying exactly the same mm. thing: to be competent to sell my art, mm-hmm. rather than who's going to buy this. That's it. I know the value in in my work in so far as the hours, not only that it took to make it, but the hours of sacrifice in the years leading up to. You know, I moved quite a lot so I could have a studio space, a workspace, you know, and uh, I'd left Dublin because of the rents, and... Sorry, that's... That's okay. You're a famous artist. People have to call you. Anyway, yeah, no. You started your art, Mm -hmm. as you said, scribbling. Has it changed a lot over the years? It's funny, it's changed enormously, enormously, but right back to the beginning insofar as... Obviously, you can see with the colours and the, the texture, the materiality here, it's something that there's a, there's a very immediate aspect. And that's something that I think children are drawn to as well. Or when I was a child, when I was a young creative, you know, it's like the colours and the texture of certain fabrics or paint even. And I've tried to... I've, I've kind of come back to that. So there's a... There's a complexity and a simplicity, if you like. The simplicity is that initial creative impulse, and the complexity is more has come with time and, you know, uh, understanding different methods or modes of making art. But, I mean, I don't do figurative work, so I guess everybody starts drawing people and trees. And then I moved into photography in New York. I was, you know, black-and-white photography primarily, where you get to develop the film yourself, work with your hands crossover I should say came and then 
I didn't have the feeling for the digital anymore, so I came back and started sculpture and painting again. So When you say sculpture? Because mm. I think when I began, it was just making things. So I would find pieces of wood and crate when I lived in Dublin in, in, the, in the fruit and veg market. And I would make assemblages and make different things out of them. And it was sort of the beginning of just thinking about objects that are not necessarily a painting on a wall or a photograph. You know, yeah. It has its own presence. I mean, it's very, it was very scrappy, rough work, but it was kind of honest in a way that, that, was, that was what I was drawn to. But forget about selling that kind of stuff. I mean, you're talking about uh, rubbish, basically. And, but I think, you know, I think you don't necessarily have to be directed by, is this going to sell? So there, I do find that there's a certain thing where perhaps a gallery will, would like a, a repetition of a certain style of work because it's safe, if you like. Yeah. It's not... But then, to me, it's, it's kind of... Um, it's constrictive because I have to try and produce the same thing again and again. You know, you, don't, you can't really grow doing that. No, no. So. And I think that's a part of growing, isn't it? Exactly, and that's, that's, that's a part of life as well. If we wanted to follow your art, Derek, Derek Smith, mm-hmm. how would we go about that? Probably the most recent is, is Instagram. I find that's the easiest to maintain and to update. So it's just my name, Derek Smith, D-E-R-I-C-K-S-M-I-T-H. It's just easier to maintain on a website, just Instagram. So Are you on Facebook at all? Oh, yeah, there's a Facebook page there as well. Derek Smith Art is the other Facebook. Okay. Can I say welcome to the Loon Gallery and to the Arts Programme on Ross FM. And I'm delighted to meet you. And I can honestly say that the art is extremely colourful. Mm-hmm. Uh, in some places you've even gone off the, the canvas, yeah. haven't you? <laughs> I have a few places. <laughs> <laughs> is that the way they work in Kells, that you go off the canvas? <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't enough space, I had to grow out. <laughs> well, I actually had a walk around and there's other pieces that are on little small pieces of, mm. um, is it handmade paper? There is a handmade paper there, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and that's beautiful. And it's, yeah. it's, it's quite, when I say it's quite small, it's not quite small, but it's easy to bring into an apartment or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then some of your other pieces are, are huge. Can I say congratulations and uh, thank you for giving me a few minutes on the Arts Programme on Ross FM. Thank you very much. It's lovely thank to you. talk to you. So there we had uh, Derek Smith in the Loon Gallery in Athlone and uh, again well worth a visit. Uh, the Loon Gallery is always well worth a visit really because they always have something on and um, the staff and volunteers uh, there are very very helpful at all times so um, just yeah pop in. Now our next guest, I'm really delighted to have the next guest with me, uh, Dee McKiernan. Hello. Hello Ursula. Hello Dee, long time no see your chat. Well, thank you. Here I am. <laughs> At last. <laughs> At last. Uh, Dee McKiernan is um, well is is a well known artist, uh, painter, sculptor. Well, I don't know. Do you do sculpturing, um, Dee? No, no. No. But you you've many uh, strings to your bow within the art and the painting, penciling, drawing, um, silk. A huge range within that area, and as well as that, you're a poet. So you're welcome to the arts program on Ross FM, and I'm delighted that you're here joining us today. Because um, maybe I'll ask you a little question: What does poetry mean to you? I think poetry is um, something that is gives one a deep insight, whether you're reading it or writing it. 
it gives an insight and a way of expressing things that maybe cannot be otherwise had. Um, so I would see it being very similar to other forms of art, whether that's film, music, dance. Uh, I think it is another form of expression. It's, it's, a, it's a language all of its own. I agree with you because um, this morning I was just thinking of um, I was just thinking about poetry and just something that came to my mind was I lost many friends and then I lost many more and it just was something how I thought this morning and it rhymed and the poem needs no more than that. Yeah, yeah, you, you for know, sure, and that's so profound. You could spend a long time using other words to say that, and they would. Wouldn't as, as impactful. Yeah, and I, I think you. I mean, you know, you know, we both lost a couple of friends in the last while. So it just, you know, I lost many friends, and then I lost many more. Yeah. Anyway, Dee, I didn't come bring you on to discuss my my poetry. <laughs> <laughs> have you Have you got a little poem for us? I do, Ursula. Yes, I have. Well, actually, exactly this time last year at Bialtana, um, I I wrote a number of poems. So I thought I would read one of those for you. Okay. Um, and this is this is the time when we celebrate the festival of Bialtana, and with the lockdowns over the last few years, it wasn't possible to with other people or to attend the festival of fires on on the hill of Ishnach. But I would have visited a very special, magical place on the shores of Loch at St. John's Wood, not far from my home. Many people might know it here in South Roscommon. I just find there is something very special about that place. And it was on the shores of um, Loch there at St. John's Wood that I wrote these poems. So uh, I'll read you this one. It's Bialtana 2021. Thank you. Black earth exposed now that winter waters have retreated. Roots once hidden are laid bare. Beautiful and strong, they do not ask for praise. But know they are enough that they deserve their place upon this earth. And that's it, Ursula. That's one of those poems I wrote on that day, standing there on the shores of the lake. And you know, I can visualise that. It's um, it's um, what is it? It's very visionable. From what you're saying, I can visualise the stones, the earth, the water's edge. I can visualise all that. You're just standing still. Um, that's great. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly as it is was exactly as it was yeah that's i'm delighted to know that that i can that the, the words were were paint the picture for you yes they do paint the picture i, I, I can really can visualize and i'm sure our listeners can visualize as well all you need to do is just stand still listen to what you've said and i we can see the picture so we can and uh, you're talking about ishnak that's on is it um the first weekend in may that's yes yes it is. next saturday week the festival yes next saturday there and it's and for anybody who has, for anyone who has never had a chance to attend it, I don't know if there's still tickets available, but it really is, uh, Dee, I think you would promote it as well, a, a magical event, a really magical event. 
and it's something you must do at least once in your lifetime and it's a very historical place as well yeah yeah it's very special yeah it is very special and i mean I suppose as well as that, if you can't get there when the event is on, they do do tours. The phones are going left, right and centre. <laughs> I think they must want you to come on the programme more often. Jerry, uh, um, it's nice to hear uh, and see your art now, your words to hear coming loud and clear. Um, there's a few there from different people. I can't read them all out. But um, um, what's Erica... Uh, Fala Smith was on as well earlier on there. I haven't a chance to read her message either. Dee, um, one day will you promise me you will take a Wednesday off and come and join us in studio? Absolutely, Ursula. I would love to. I would love to. And I'm sorry that generally my, my work, my day job gets in the way of me of it me does. doing that and hitting, hitting rock every week. But for sure, I would love to do that. And I appreciate the invitation. Thank you. Yes, and whenever you can, uh, Dee. But you've always been very generous to the programme as well. Anytime I rang you and asked you, would you give us a... Uh, you know your opinion or share something with us you've always been able to uh, rearrange and, and do that that's Dee McKiernan um, what was the name of your poem again? it was the Altona 2021 from your visit to St John's Wood on the shores that's right on the shores of Blackberry yes indeed Dee McKiernan thank you once again for joining us on uh, the arts programme on Ross FM and no doubt we'll catch up with you soon again thank you Arthur Take care. Be safe. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was Dee McKiernan. Um, and even if I say so myself, an amazing artist. Uh, if she has an exhibition on, it really is worth going and seeing. That's my opinion, but uh, I think a lot of people would say the same. We're heading on now to our ads, and we're coming back, and we will have um, a piece that Pinted O'Toole wrote, and his sister Ashlyn uh, is reading it for us. taken me a little while to come back um, my next um, my next guest is Pinton O'Toole uh, Pinton O'Toole was an amazing artist who passed away a couple of years ago and uh, who was loved by quite a lot of us within the poetry area of, of the world and uh, was known for his love of music for his knowledge of music and his creativity his um his way with words and his uh, his understanding of words and books. And if you wanted to know anything about a book or help with words and writing anything, he ran along and he said, Finton, help. One of the lines in one of Finton's poems was, Never in a liar's dream could I imagine this. And I think that has been echoed by his family time and time again. Um, and just before I, I uh, play... Um, Vinton's poem, which is um, recorded by his sister Ashley O'Toole, and she has uh, sent that on to us to share with us, with you today as well. Um, within Vinton's family, three of the siblings of their siblings died uh, within a short period of time, and the rest of the family set up a charity called Jacinta Smile. And Jacinta Smile, Jacinta was. Um, Pinton's sister who passed away approximately a year before him and um, Jacinta was known for her smile and before Pinton passed away Pinton, to raise funds for the charity Jacinta's smile he had his hair and his beard 
shaped and trimmed and cut. And believe you me, Vinton had long hair. He was a Jesus lookalike. Um, lovely, 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 lovely person. Um, Jacinta Smile is a charity to help other siblings who have uh, lost family members. Uh, the children tend to be looking out for the parents and the parents tend to be looking out for the children. But this charity looks out for the children and gives them activities so they can come together and share what has happened to them. Um, so this time around, Jacinta Smile is... Um, let me see, the charity Jacinta Smile are doing three peak challenges in Connacht and Leinster. And it's called a three peak challenge as it symbolises the three hills that we climb emotionally with losing our three siblings. And as Finton said in one of his poems, to stumble over moments we live over emotional stones, we hid each, other, we hid each stumbled a new one, each soiled every step a victory. So by completing these channels, as it gives the people taking part hope, life can be hard, but it can be worth living. And standing at the top of these mountains on these days will demonstrate that. Um, one uh, one of the challenges will be in, du- in Donegal in June, and then there's Wicklow uh, in September. Uh, and maybe at a later date we'd ask uh, Ashley, Jacinta Smile, the, the three girls... Uh, to come in and chat with us and tell us a little bit about Jacinta Smile and how they fundraise and how they um, are so proud to remember uh, Derek Finton and Jacinta. So now I'm just going to uh, and they they have their own Facebook so you can look them up and see the amazing uh, chances and days out that they do. Ashley, thank you very much for sharing uh, Finton's poem with us today. It's only a short poem, but uh, Finton had many poems, and he's published it. Um, um, he has been published in Poetry in the Park. I couldn't think of the name of the book. Poetry in the Park on several occasions. There's many volumes of that, and he's been published in that and published in many, many other places. So here we have Finton O'Toole, and we're remembering you today, Finton. This is a poem by my brother, Fintan O'Toole. Um, We believe it is about living with loss. Um, He lost his brother when he was younger and we believe that this poem is about living with loss. It's called The Dark Music of Your Eyes. The dark music of your eyes, it forever haunts me inside. Two steps forward, five steps back. With my heart in my hands, I leadenly beat a solid trek. It's a mountain of memory I traverse daily. To stumble over moments well lived, over emotional stones well hid, Each stumble a new one, each solid step a victory. When will it end? To fall with joy unabandoned, with hope distended, arms open wide and with tears in my eyes, I will be there loving you.
and that was a poem by Fintan O'Toole, remembering his brother Declan. And um, Ashley, thank you so much. And to the O'Toole family, all of you, thank you so much for sharing Fintan's poetry with us today. Um, uh, always loved and never forgotten, hey? What about that? Now, um, we're moving on to our next uh, interview, and it was with John Cunningham. And John Cunningham is the great-grandniece of um, a Brigadier General uh, George Adamson, whose name was given to the castle in Athlone after he was shot in Athlone. And uh, John tells us the story, his life story. I'm absolutely delighted to have Brigadier General George Adamson's grandnephew with me. Um, so, who have we got here? Uh, my name is John Cunningham, and I am uh, George Adamson's great grandnephew. Brigadier General uh, George Addison, you did a talk at the graveside about him and his life. Would you like to do that with me now so we can record it? You want me to yes. Okay. Well, I don't know if you heard. The crows uh, joined in, the moo-moo cows joined in, and then the wind came up and gave a whoosh yeah. every now and then. So um, just so we'll have it for history and historical times. John. This will take me about 10. It seems unlikely that anybody who has come here today needs a full introduction to the story of George Adamson. It may be useful instead to think about some of the contexts in which we can situate him. Here inside these walls, it is impossible to ignore the context provided by the long history of the Adamson family in this region. Leaving aside the headstone that is our focus today, there are among us at least 12 other monuments to various Adamson families, the earliest dating, I believe, to 1771. Adamsons of Nahad, River Park, Baltrasna, Balnalak and Moat, Adamsons with land and social status, members of the Church of Ireland, several of whom bore the name George. Over centuries in one place, a family could produce many offshoots, as was the case with the Westmead Adamsons. The 1901 census recorded 58 Adamsons in the county, with a range of occupations from landowner to labourer and four different religious affiliations. Among them was George, the three-year-old son of Joseph, a Catholic shoemaker, and his wife Elizabeth. That George, was de- that George was descended from 17th century planter stock and going back further, perhaps also from a Scottish Protestant bishop, reminds us of the many complications involved with identity, whether personal, familial or national, and the variegated quality of Irishness, all the children of the nation. My first real encounter with George Adamson came when I was at secondary school in Moat, where the history teacher, Father Jerry Hipwell, tasked us with re- compiling our family trees. It turned out that mine was for the most part unremarkable. Herds, homemakers, small farmers, shoemakers, stonemasons. But it also included a military man, a revolutionary who was shot dead in the dark in Athlone. My main source of detail on this standout figure was a newspaper cutting given to me by my grandaunt, Moll Mayers, all about the man she called Uncle George. The cutting was a Westmead Independent article from 1997, marking the 75th anniversary of the killing of George Adamson. This month, 100 years on, at least one of the local papers is carrying articles focused again on the circumstances of Adamson's death. Especially as we stand here in a graveyard, it is worth reminding ourselves that Adamson's life was about more than simply his death. In that respect, we are fortunate to have Phil Tompkins' biography, Twice a Hero, which charts Adamson's progress from the trenches of the Great War to the ditches of the Irish Midlands. It is the eventful life of George Adamson, as well as his controversial death, 100 years ago tomorrow, 
that we commemorate today. George Adamson was one of many young Irishmen who joined the British Army during World War I before going on to, t- to take up arms against British rule in Ireland. His decision to enlist in February 1915, two months short of his 18th birthday, was not strange or unusual. After all, around 200,000 Irishmen saw action in the Great War. It seems likely, however, that George was influenced by some family connections. A few years earlier, in 1913, two of his sisters had married soldiers stationed in the British garrison at Athlone. Mary married Frederick Woods in July 1913, while Annie married Thomas Hewitt in October. Later, in 1928, the third sister, Lucy, would marry another soldier, Patrick McGuinness, who was based at the Curra camp. Along with George's enlistment in 1915, the marriages of Mary, Annie and Lucy can be seen as signifying the emergence of this branch of the Adamsons as an Irish military family, a tradition carried on by some of those present in uniform here today. George's younger brothers, Joe and Willie, also featured in this Adamson fighting story. If George's brothers-in-law Hewitt and Woods perhaps influenced his decision to join the war in Europe in 1915, the direction taken by Joe illustrated Yeats's point that all changed changed utterly as a result of Easter 1916. According to his later pension claim, in 1916 Joe was stationed with the British Army in Cork, but unlike George he did not end up fighting the Turks or manning a machine gun post in Salonika or in Palestine. Instead he passed intelligence from the barracks in Cork before gaining a discharge and returning home to Moat, where he became active in the reinvigorated independence movement, acting as a drill instructor, carrying messages and distributing pamphlets. It was to this utterly transformed Ireland that George Adamson returned after his discharge in March 1919. He carried three campaign medals as well as a Distinguished Conduct Medal, awarded to him for conspicuous gallantry under heavy fire in 1918. He also had an army pension and he soon secured employment at the railway station in Athlone. A quieter life perhaps beckoned, but Adamson, still in his early 20s, declined all that to, as his brother Joe put it, go actively fighting for Ireland. George joined the Athlone Brigade and in the autumn of 1920 the newly formed Flying Column. Many of the episodes with which he was subsequently involved are well known, such as the ambushes at Parkwood and Cornifulla and the burning of Moydrum. James Tormey's death at Cornifulla saw Adamson succeed him as second in command of the Athlone Brigade. George Adamson was himself wounded at least twice, at one point being shot in the chest after an altercation with two black and tans. George was well regarded by his comrades from this period. According to Gerald Davis, he was a fine type of man, well built, a good athlete and a very good fellow all round. Walter Mitchell recalled him as a fine soldier, hot tempered and all that, but he was able to handle men well. While Sean McKeown described him as a very intelligent officer and very loyal. At a distance of 100 years, such testimonies, family recollections, the few surviving photographs of Adamson and the newsreel of Silent Film in which he features are some of our best means of trying to get a sense of the person that he was. The photograph most frequently reproduced was taken during the handover of Athlone in February 1922. Back on the ground where he had joined the British Army seven years before, Adamson was now essentially involved in taking over the castle and barracks from that same army. In the photo in question, he stands by the wheel of a gun carriage, frozen in time at his finest hour, not yet 25 years old. In the same month, George found time for the sort of business that we are about today, commemoration, as he unveiled a memorial to his late friend and comrade, James Tormey, at Cornifulla. Tormey's unfortunate end was testament to the sort of risks that Adamson had repeatedly run, but survived so far. 
Other comrades had been lost too, including Joe Tormey and Patrick Sloan, shot dead by a sentry at Ballykinler camp in January 1921. What about George Adamson's death? Some years later, in 1935, Joe Adamson reflected on his brother's demise. He wrote that, although little known, that murder was a spark that was a large contributing factor towards the unfortunate civil strife which ensued. This statement highlights one of the two factors that has helped to sustain interest in the circumstances of Adamson's death. Had he been killed behind his machine gun in Palestine in 1918, gallant or not, George would be largely forgotten. Instead, Adamson was gunned down at the most delicate of moments in a divided town at the heart of a country on the verge of civil war. A spark, as Joe Adamson put it, a spark that helped to ignite further violence and destruction. His death came soon after the occupation of Dublin's forecourts by a Republican garrison. It came the day after the Labour movement's general strike against militarism, and in the same week as the killings of Protestant civilians in Cork and of members of both pro- and anti-treaty forces in Mullingar. The second factor that undoubtedly sustains our interest is the absence of clarity around who killed George Adamson and why they did so. Many of the details of the episode are well known, a motor car, an altercation in the street, but nobody was ever identified as the killer. The inquest into Adamson's death concluded that he had been murdered by a person or persons unknown. The most likely culprits seemed the most obvious ones, members of the anti-treaty IRA, whether they had planned it or not. Yet even some of George's immediate family proved receptive to counterclaims that something more sinister had unfolded involving his own side. Nobody took credit for George Adamson's death because there was none to take. The ethos of the decade of commemorations has seen efforts to broaden sympathies without having to abandon loyalties, whilst also acknowledging differences and divisions. This, I hope, creates space for us to remember and to talk about men such as George Adamson and his comrades, uh, to remember and to try to understand them, to celebrate them should we wish to do so, without thereby fostering fresh divisions. In 1956, a former IRA comrade noted that the graves of George Adamson and James Tormey were, sad to relate, grossly neglected, being being covered with weeds and dirt. Today there is no sign of weeds or dirt, and I commend the Holy Trinity Graveyard Group for their restoration work, making a space here fit for remembrance and reflection. The situation in 1956 was remedied when George Adamson's former colleagues in the Athlone Brigade erected this headstone to commemorate him, the Tommy brothers, and Patrick Sloan. Aside from the four names, the headstone also contains the prayer in Irish, Labae Mask Nevinini Goraw Aca May the 